Hello, I'm Daniel Gonzalez, and welcome to the Your Home Podcast, where I have guests on to talk about real estate and home ownership. I hope you enjoy. All right, so this week I have Melina Thompson with me. She is the principal broker and owner of Thompson Burnham LLC here in Salem, uh, which is also the real estate company that I work for. Uh, good morning, Melina. Hey, good morning, Daniel. It's great to be here. All right. So today we are going to talk about the stats for Salem and Kaiser, the annual statistics uh, for 2020, um, and then uh, a bit about how that's changed uh, and wherever else that takes us. Um, so uh, the starting from the top with Salem, uh, the residential non-acreage home sales for 2020 uh, fell uh, to where they are at as of January 2021 to a, a 0.4 months of inventory, uh, whereas it started at 2.3 months last January, January 2020. Uh, one month of inventory is considered um, however many homes were sold the previous month. So if 100 homes were sold uh, this month uh, and there were 100 homes active on the market, then that would be one month's worth of inventory. Oh, and consumers need to know that like a normal market is five to six months of, of right. a neutral market where uh, the buyer and the seller are on even footing where neither really has an upper hand uh, is five to six months of inventory. So point four, so that the lower uh, the inventory is, the more power the seller has, the higher it is, the more power the buyer has. Uh, so over. Um, so in 2020 in Salem, there were uh, 3,063 uh, non-acreage properties uh, sold, which was a 5.5% increase from 2019. You look at that and say, well, if you have super low inventory, where is, you know, how did you sell more homes than the year before? Uh, and that comes in uh, with 14.5% of the homes being sold were new construction. Uh, so uh, over over ten percent higher um, uh, rate uh, of homes sold were new construction. Uh, the median price for Salem uh, was for three hundred and thirty one thousand five hundred dollars, uh, and then that was a ten point two percent increase from two thousand nineteen. Uh, the average days on the market was fifty four days. That seems like a really long time. Uh, with homes normally uh, going under contract in somewhere between three days and a week uh, from going on the market. Uh, however, uh, days on the market is calculated from the day it goes up for sale, hits the market, to the day that it closes. And and a lot of that right was uh, the um, when interest rates dropped, uh, everybody and their mother were trying to refinance. It, it was crazy for the lenders. Absolutely. They were totally uh, bowled over. Escrow companies were completely slammed. And so everything was just taking a lot longer. And, and we're still at that place where, you know, if you have a loan, we're looking at 45 days um, to get the loan done. Um, Whereas traditionally before this, it was closer to around 30. Right. Right. So it's taking half again as long um, if you're using a loan to, Right. Uh, to get that closed. Uh, so I mentioned 14.5% uh, of the homes sold being new construction. That comes out to 443 homes. Um, and then those were listed 
uh, at an average of $354,900 and then sold for $357,706. And that price was a 1.6% increase from 2019. Um, Do you want to explain a bit of the difference of why it was only a 1.6% change from 2019 for new construction as opposed to the 10.2% change overall? Yeah, so uh, new construction, generally your costs are fairly uh, sort of stable. Uh, There was uh, an increase in lumber costs. Uh, You know, the the tariff that had got placed on the Canadian soft lumber, which is what we use for framing our houses. Um, And then uh, then just the increased demand for homes, um, that really uh, increased the home prices here towards later towards the year. So next year, I would expect that we'll see that new home construction price jump significantly. But between 2019 and when they started building and ordering materials, there really wasn't that much. And the builders right now, uh, some of those really sort of larger you know, four bedroom, two and a half bath with a bonus room, those 2,800 square foot homes, a lot of folks can't afford those. And so the builders have come down in price, trying to keep things more affordable. So it's a three, two, 1,500 square foot, 1,600 square foot house, uh, and trying to sort of keep those home prices stable so that Salemites can afford to buy those homes. And uh, I know oftentimes uh, those homes being built, and we can see it in the price, right? The average price is uh, $25,000 over, um, for new construction over, uh, the regular median price for just homes sold in sailor in general. And uh, a lot of where prices went up was in those lower price range. You know, we're seeing Absolutely. from, uh, 400,000 and down, uh, and the, the luxury homes, the, the bigger, more expensive homes, uh, they aren't seeing as much of that competing. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. The, I mean, the under 350,000 market is insanely competitive. Uh, that's just where most people can afford. So it's just there, there's a lot of, lot of offers there. And yeah, that, that home price portion has really increased a lot. Um, it, it's, It's got to be a scary time. Um, I purchased a home uh, last year and it's, it was nerve wracking. Um, And and I'm in this building or this business and it's still nerve wracking to to know that, you know, a couple of years ago, you know, this house would have, you know, been worth $40,000 less. Right. Um, It's scary. We, and we're not that far removed uh, from 2008. When we saw a similar uh, result um, for what you and I know to be different reasons, but but we saw the prices go up um, really quickly, uh, and then it fell through. Um, so it, it is it, it is scary, and especially for somebody who doesn't know the reasoning. Do you want to talk a bit about what the difference is? And you know, I know you were an agent um, during right. the last downturn. You want to talk about some of the differences of what was happening to cause those prices uh, to rise so quickly in you know two thousand in the mid two thousands uh, compared to now? Yeah, no, I, I've been an agent since two thousand four, so I started you know as uh, in, in a, new, a normal market um, is what I started in, and then you know two thousand six, two thousand seven, it was kind of like what the heck is this? Um, but you know back then uh, when you would do a contract. Uh, the way that the the business worked is that uh, I would write a contract. You would have a lender. 
uh, the lender would order the appraisal directly. And so the, the lender, no matter who you use, they would you know, have maybe three, four, five appraisers that they liked using, depending upon your lender. Um, they may may or may not choose uh, choose um, appraisers who will, uh, as one guy, uh, one lender said, said it, give me some love. Um, and so, <laughs> so <laughs> I had one listing and I had, uh, there was three offers on it. And this is 2007, 2008. And, uh, and this was uh, back when they could do that, the, the lender called four different appraisers because uh, I told them, I was like, there's no way there is no way this house will appraise at that price. It's just, it, it's not possible. So he called around and he found an appraiser that would hit that number for him. So, um, so that, you know, obviously that doesn't happen anymore. Uh, we had the Frank Dodd Act, uh, which took care of, of, of that particular dynamic. And so that was one of the reasons for, you know, home prices escalating. Uh, and, uh, with, with that, right, the, the whole the purpose of an appraiser, for those who don't know, is uh, for the bank to have somebody uh, to take a look at what they think the house is actually worth so that right. the bank doesn't get in over their heads right. uh, in case somebody um, uh, forecloses. They, they want to be able to get the money back out of it. Right. Um, so yeah. it just it completely contradicts the entire uh, a reason for having an appraiser if you can pick your uh, your price pick your appraisal. yeah you pick a price and then you pick the appraiser to get you that value uh and so um yeah so it was sort of and there was different you know lending back then so uh back then the 80 20 loan was really popular so uh you would actually have two loans you'd put zero percent down uh and it was a conventional loan you'd take a 20 percent loan out which was then you would use as your down payment on the 80 percent um so you can avoid that you know mortgage insurance payment which then gives you more purchasing power but you have zero percent down uh so they're you know sort of having that skin in the game which we always talk about now that didn't really exist uh back then and with fha there was the ameridream program that was really popular here locally uh where they would give you the three and a half percent down down payment as a grant um, and then, so again, you could walk into a home with 0% down and, uh, and now you, ha- you can only get a gift from a relative. Um, so it's either you have that 3%, 3.5% down for FHA, or you have to have a gift from a relative. Um, but yeah, there was all sorts of, you know, there was just all sorts of interesting loosey-goosey, just uh, things that were happening uh, back then in terms of lending that uh, that people who should not have been purchasing homes because they didn't quite have that the financial stability to be doing that and to be able to weather storms uh, were purchasing homes. And that's uh, the, the demand was what was driving up the market. So, right. Whereas now it's, um, it's supply and it's demand. Supply problem. Here. Right. Um, so um, back in the, the recession, and I can uh, say this as having had uh, several um, contractors, but, at least half of the contractors had to leave the market. Um, they, you know, our plumbers, electricians, uh, all of those folks had to leave. They had to go get jobs in. I know a, a couple that went into nursing and, and they just had to do things where they could make money because we, they weren't going to make money in housing. Um, and then um, I don't think people realize how long it takes to develop a subdivision. And so development, I mean, stopped stop, stop. Like developers weren't uh, subdividing land. They weren't seeking partitions and uh, parcels. And so it, that, that, that's a multi-year process to go through all the rules and regulations to create a subdivision 
or to build an apartment or all of those kinds of things. So when housing stopped being built, uh, you know, around 2009, 2010, it sort of came to a standstill. They couldn't gear up fast enough for all of the people who were sort of coming out out of the market and now we're coming back in the market. Um, you know, when you, a lot of the people who went into foreclosure with, uh, with a loan, after three years, they were eligible through FHA to be able to go back and become home buyers. And so after living in apartments for three years, they wanted to sort of dive back into the market. So we saw in 2014, we saw, you know, our home, um, our market like it was starting to increase, uh, we're starting to have some appreciation, people were starting to come into the market. Uh, and then really in 2017, it started sort of tipping up. And we were at that point where the developers were starting to come back in 2014 and 15, but it wasn't remotely fast enough for how fast uh, up the demand was going for, for housing. So right. especially here in Salem, where we're a growing city, we just we can't keep up with the demand. And uh, there are multiple reasons uh, and things that uh, get us to that point. Um, I know, and we'll uh, talk about the Kaiser statistics here in a minute, but right. Kaiser is at the, the limits of their urban growth boundary. Absolutely. Salem is quickly approaching that. Um, right. Both cities are, are due to expand that. But until that happens, the the amount of buildable land uh, to put new homes and continue to build that supply is pretty limited. And the best, uh, the best parcels uh, to have new homes uh, put on have already been developed. Um, uh, I think that many people don't realize what goes into building a new subdivision. It's not as simple as uh, putting some roads down and throwing houses up and uh, right. calling Not me with my grid know. paper, drawing it out, giving it to the city saying, Hey, approve that. I mean, <laughs> it's not that simple. So, right. Yeah. The, the, the amount of infrastructure that has to go in to, and the cost of that infrastructure, to right. put, you have the, the city sewer and water, you have electrical uh, cable, uh, everything, a uh, gas, all of those utilities take money um, and that and fees from the city and uh, it, it, there is an exorbitant cost to putting in uh, housing. Right. And they have to look at the soils um, to make sure uh, because there's different soils will require different uh, building. Um, you know, we have uh, high risk landslide hazard zones. And so if you're in one of those, those are going to require different foundations and different building requirements. And so it's just there's a lot of things that that go into it, um, into into building um, and developing that subdivision. Um, there's a whole process that happens on the back end. And it's not a a two month or a six month process. It you know it's a one to two year process, and then they can start. And uh, especially um, in the south and west, where we have a lot of hills, they might have to do some engineering, uh, engineered fill, and that's a process that takes time. Uh, so it, you know it just it, it's not something that we can ramp up really quickly. And now we're sort of scrambling to try and keep up with the demand because so many people are moving here and we're just, we're continually far behind. So. And I saw some, uh, some article a couple of weeks ago um, where they compiled all the, all the states and what the, um, 
the numbers were for people moving into the states or into that state per capita. And um, Oregon was easily in the top 10. Oh, yeah. And those people oftentimes, uh, right, it's people coming up from California. Um, and they come here with, with quite a bit of money. They, they're selling their home down in California. Um, and they're uh, buying for $400,000 here what they sold for a million dollars down in California. So, so those people are coming in with the money to, uh, to, to buy some of those homes uh, that are at the higher price point. Um, what I uh, feel continues to prop up our market um, and really uh, make it as strong as it is, is the fact that those new builders, um, as they continue to grow our inventory, the inventory isn't being grown in the, the, the new home buyer uh, range for the most part. Those, you know, uh, what right now is, you know, 350 and down, um, that inventory isn't going up uh, right. and won't anytime soon. Uh, and there is a large, you know, with rent prices what they are, uh, there's a large population here that are ready to buy their their new um, or their first home. Right. Uh, and there's a, a finite amount of, of those homes uh, available. And as we see, way more people looking to do that with interest rates what they are, um, interest rates as low as they are, and rent as high as they as high as it is. It's absolutely cheaper to have a mortgage than it is to pay rent. Yep. For most people, it's going to be the case. Um, and as home prices go up, uh, rents are also continuing to go up. Uh, and uh, I don't envision that changing at any time soon. Um, it's yeah. high in demand and we can't build supply quick enough. Right. The demand's not going anyway. Anyway. It, it, I just think because, you know, normally um, when you think of like demand, you think of places like Austin, Texas, where it's becoming a big tech hub. And so there, you know, business is driving it. And that's not really what's driving, you know, our, our real estate market. Um, you know, we have obviously Californians coming up, but we also have Washingtonians come down mm -hmm. because they're tired of Seattle. We have Portlanders who are sort of escaping Portland um, because they're sort of, uh, they can't afford up there. And so that's why Kaiser, um, you know, is really popular. Um, and we can you know, talk about more about parts of Salem, but like Northeast Salem, uh, where North Star is being built by uh, D.R. Horton, uh, you know, it's a really popular place for commuters because it's so close to the highway. They could shoot up to Portland, uh, it takes 20 minutes off their commute versus South where I live. So, um, uh, and then the other thing that's, we're starting to have, uh, I'd say about two years ago, we started getting climate, I call them climate, climate refugees. Mm -hmm. Um, these are people who are coming up from Arizona, um, and some from Southern California, it's too hot. Um, they're tired of the 120 degree summers. And so, um, they're, they're coming up here. So it's a, it's a, it's a different shift of, of person. Um, and the reason why they're coming up is different. And they don't, a lot of times they're done with big cities. Um, they're done with Phoenix or they're done with LA. Um, and so they settle on Salem because then they can still, you know, they can still pop up to Portland. And so Salem is sort of getting hammered by all of these people deciding to move here for different reasons and not job related. So uh, another, while we're kind of talking about the stability and continued uh, growth of our market, um, Something that I think a lot of people don't uh, consider, uh, since we are literally the only one uh, in in Oregon, is Salem and Kaiser's 
um, markets are a lot more stable uh, than, you know, say Eugene or Portland or Bend, um, because we have so many people who work for the state Absolutely. Um, government jobs. Right. Where, uh, you know, during a recession, sure, they will have some layoffs, but not nearly the extent um, that you will find in a city that is um, that's economy is focused around the private sector. Right. Well, and our, yeah, so we have we've got our state jobs, um, and then we have a really large school district. So we have teachers, um, and those are relatively stable. Um, and then we have uh, the hospital, which is growing. Um, and so we can't get enough doctors um, for, you know, Salem Clinic is growing. We, we have a doctor shortage here. Uh, and so and then with um, Amazon coming in um, with the whole Mill Creek Industrial Park down there, we've got, you know, FedEx is there. Amazon, we have their Home distribution Depot. center, their delivery center is going to open up in the CNO plant. And so, um, you know, those are solid paying $17, $20 an hour jobs. Um, and so, the, you know, we just have a, a you know, um, uh, we I think we have enough stability uh, that um, that we can, people can find work. And then the other thing is with people working from home um, and a lot of companies deciding to go remote, um, we're starting to get a lot of inquiries from people whose jobs have permanently out and now they can live at anywhere and they're starting to say, hey, we want to learn more about your city. Um, so I, I, I just don't see um, I don't see demands um, changing for us. So sure. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right, so let's um, let me continue through my stats here. Oh, uh, something else that we didn't hit for Salem um, was the condo market. Um, we had 144 uh, condo units sold, um, of a average list price of two hundred two hundred forty two thousand four hundred fifty dollars, uh, and then they sold for an average of two hundred and forty eight thousand nine hundred dollars, um, and it was a ten point six percent increase. Uh, over 2019, condos and and also townhomes uh, have become uh, the the builders' uh, way of adding um, adding inventory to that that lower price point where they can't afford to build a home. Right. Um, so there there are some uh, there is some increase in that supply. However most Oregonians, right? Most people trying to get out of, you know, moving from an apartment uh, right. into a house um, are not uh, excited by the idea of um, moving into one of those um, townhome, uh, one of those new townhomes being put up. Um, uh, I think a lot of the condos, um, you know, specifically... Ilahi, things like Ilahi um, and over uh, up in. Um, so, yeah, like sort of the true, like we've got the co op in Ilahi, um, and then there's Ilahi Terrace, which is the condos in there. And then there is, um, of course, the downtown condos. I think the big issue for people with the condos and townhomes is we are a massive dog culture in Oregon. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're just, I don't know if you heard, they're just bringing up 60 more dogs from Texas for the Second Chance program. Um, and so, you know, we take dogs from all over uh, the country, uh, from uh, high kill shelters where that have low demand and they just, they send them to Oregon and, um, and they get adopted out really quickly here because it's just, we have people have like a bazillion dogs. So, uh, and, and it's really hard when you're in a town home, uh, that doesn't have a backyard, even if it's a small one, 
um, to be able to have that for your dog. So like the Mackenzie Ridge ones, uh, they don't really have even like green grass. It's all sort of cement. And uh, mm-hmm. so it, it makes it hard to have dogs in those. But I do think our dog culture here drives our, our homes. Because, um, you know, having a fenced yard, like it's 95% of buyers need a fenced yard for their dog. Like it's just a thing. So. And I, I've been uh, somewhat surprised um, by uh, developers, and I understand it. Um, but developers continuing to put new homes in on these postage stamp lots um, when the, the average Oregonian or Salemite are, are people who like the larger lot sizes, you know, room for their dogs and for barbecues and right. activities. Um, uh, and most of the homes being built right now, uh, or a good number of them anyway, um, are, are on smaller lots. Um, that's not true for the North Star subdivision. Um, some of the new ones in the newest phase, they're on like a 0. 0.20. Um, they're on a bigger lot. Um, those are the ones that are up off of Kale that DR Horton's building on. Oh, oh okay. Yeah. yeah. And so uh, those are the ones that Larry Epping developed. Uh, and those do have, um, they have bigger lots, which is nice. Uh, kids right. are definitely demand for like a newer construction. Nice. Home. A little yeah. bit better lot than the, the, the strip of grass. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I totally get why they do it. They can shove more homes into the subdivision. It solves our inventory issue. And it's not affecting price that much. It's not, yeah. Uh, So then getting into, uh, I mentioned I'd come to this, um, the Kaiser statistics for 2020, they had 556 home sales, uh, which was a 7% increase, uh, and then 35 uh, new homes um, new construction homes that were uh, built and sold, uh, and that was a six point three percent, or that six point three percent of all the homes. So there's your seven percent increase from um, the year before. So their uh, their demand is down as well, just like Salem's, and um, you know they, they're attached. You would expect the same, uh, but they suffer even more so than Salem for the the lack of buildable um, buildable lots right. uh, due to their urban growth boundary. Right, yeah, they're and, they're um, and they're, uh, expect, they're further along in the process to expanding their UGB uh, than Salem is. Um, do, you, do you know how long it is until they... Well, we share a boundary. So um, Salem and Kaiser share an urban growth boundary. So our boundary has to get, um, get done together. Um, so okay. they do their plan, we do our plan, and then we work it together into the whole plan that goes towards the city. Um, Kaiser tried to split off um, the urban growth boundary from Salem um, before. Uh, um, Springfield actually did it from Eugene because they shared a boundary before, and then Springfield split off. Uh, and then after Springfield split off, the ch- state changed the rules, and Kaiser wasn't able to split off. Um, so uh, so they've been sort of at the mercy of, of Salem. They actually tried to get Shalem, Salem to move a boundary in so that they could move past Clear Lake to expand their boundary, and uh, um, Salem wouldn't agree. So, so yeah, there's, there's going to be a, a massive amount of building um, once their boundary gets expanded. So. It, the hard part, you know, it, it will expand our, uh, our inventory, obviously, when, when they do... Uh, move out that boundary, increase the boundary. Uh, however, 
with construction prices being what they are, uh, what it costs to build a home, it's going to be hard to build those um, uh, those entry level homes, which is really where we have, you know, again the the largest um, deficit uh, of supply versus demand. It's a little bit easier in Kaiser because it's so flat. So, uh, and even as you go north, it's just flat. Um, it's just flat land, and so they don't have to worry so much about um, uh, like landslide hazard zones like we do in South and out West uh, for the builders. Uh, so they can save some costs on foundations and those kinds of things. Uh, but yeah, as you know, in Kaiser, the water table is pretty high because it used to be a floodplain, um, and so they're you know they have to sometimes they put in sump pumps and other things so um, to keep the water out from under the houses. So. And Kaiser continues to grow economically. Um, they just recently uh, released that um, Chick-fil-A has applied for a... I heard it up at Kaiser Station. Yep. Shimawa Station, I believe it is. Uh, oh, is it? Okay. Side. Yep. okay. Uh, Chick-fil-A recently applied for a variance, I believe, to allow them to, um, uh, to explore putting in a Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A on the south side of Shimawa. Okay. Uh, the other side of right, like right, right next to where that Bonaventure is. That you know, between the Bonaventure and um, uh, yeah. so so there, there's the loop when you come out of Kaiser Station, right, uh, to head back towards the freeway, and it's just on the south side of that loop. Gotcha. So inside of the loop, they are actively uh, constructing a gas station, which is right. the first um, the first. Uh, building uh, approved to go or business approved to go into that Shimala station? Well, I think the thing for Kaiser with uh, the sort of ongoing uh, demand and supply issues uh, is because, like I said before, you know, we've got the Portland escapees coming down. Uh, Kaiser, because it's got, I mean, um, Clear Lake and Forest Ridge are really good elementary schools. There's a great elementary school. And so they're coming down here. And then because Kaiser is farther north, it does, it saves, you know, 20, 30 minutes on their commute to shoot up to Portland. Uh, that's why sort of that whole uh, northeast section of Salem is exploding. And then those homes are going to explode and get built um, out in Kaiser for that exact same reason. So I think if the builders do a mix, sort of what they're doing over at North Star, where there are some one-story smaller homes with decent-sized yards, and then they're building more of those larger sort of what you consider family-style homes with four bedrooms, two-and-a-half bonus room type of thing. If they mix it up, then um, I think they're going to do really, really well. I'm here in South Salem right by the uh, freeway and it takes me an extra 15 minutes to get to Portland um, yep. compared to when I, when I lived up in Kaiser. Yep. Uh, it's a significant, um, when you're doing that commute, making that commute every day, it's a, yeah. it's a good chunk of, ch- a chunk of time that you can save by living in Kaiser. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, so I mean, Kaiser doesn't have a you know sort of a charming downtown because it wasn't a city until 1987. So it was always just sort of a piece of Salem. Uh, but um, but they're doing some really good things in terms of the community and um, you know the city hall is built. They've got their um, had, well before COVID they had like the Shakespeare in the Park and they you know they've been really working on their park system there. So they're doing some really good things in Kaiser. What would be really awesome is when they build it out. The next phases is that they build a little neighborhood hub in there. So for like a coffee shop and hairdressers, you know, that they sort of do some little nooks and crannies up there. Cause otherwise it's like, you know, river road and uh, Chamawa Lockheed and those are sort of commercial strips. And it'd be nice to have sort of a little pocket up there of, you know, 
I do know some of the new um, housing uh, that they're, I actually believe it's apartments, um, but I know they're putting in some on River Road um, where the city has uh, required that the first floor be business uh, and then two or three stories of um, apartments or residential um, living above it. Right. Um, or that so, makes yeah. Yeah, exactly. And Salem had um, been hoping uh, to do the same with that uh, empty lot on uh, Shemekeda High and Liberty. Um, there's a big uh, empty lot that's a pit right now. I want to oh, say the, it was a was it a bank? I believe it was. Yeah. Obviously. No. So Tukarski actually had looked at purchasing that, and yeah. he was going to build some apartments or condos. Um, but with construction costs, like, you know, he just he couldn't make a pencil out. Um, but yeah, that he was talking about putting up some apartments or condos in that. He's only built South Block, so. And uh, I would expect as um, until we get to the point that they do officially uh, expand the UGB or announce. Um, uh, announce that they are going to do it and what it will be anyway. Um, uh, I would expect builders to continue to um, and developers to continue to get um, get creative. Uh, right. To you know, it's their income as well, right. um, and they're just not not going to stop until the UGB is expanded. So yeah, no, we'll um, I would expect to see more of those funky yeah. uh, multi-use uh, uh, buildings where where they can. Well, and what we don't know, we'll have to see as we come out of the pandemic, is what is going to be the demand for commercial space. Uh, because with so many people sort of working from home, uh, businesses can downsize potentially into a smaller office space. Uh, and so, you know, it'll just, it'll, yeah, I think that there's going to be this uh, sort of uh, craziness as, as you see maybe businesses move around town and shrink their office footprint. Um, saving the business a little bit of money. Uh, so I, I think there's going to be some uh, some uh, a little bit of, I don't think chaos isn't the right word, but I think there's going to be some turnover in some commercial spaces um, as we see businesses shift their model. Uh, from everything I think that you and I see, it's going to continue to be a good 2021. Um, inventory will hopefully... Well, it'll be good for sellers, not so good for buyers, depending <laughs> on how you want to look at it. <laughs> that, that's fair. I, I am hoping that... Um, more more houses has been hitting the market in the past couple of weeks um, than in the beginning of January uh, and uh, December, November of last year. Right. So I'm really hoping that uh, the inventory continues to rise, and as we as more of our population becomes vaccinated, right, um, and more people feel safe having people come into their home. Uh, right, to um, you know, uh, to view it uh, when they're selling, I think more and more houses will go on the market, um, and I do think that there is some pent up. Um, uh, there is this feeling of people ready to sell. Um, I don't think that the the people that would have been selling last year uh, that didn't because of COVID. Um, are going to just say, never mind, we don't want to sell. I, I do think there will be an influx of homes on the market as we get out of this pandemic. Absolutely. I mean, I definitely think that there is a group of people for whatever reason, maybe they have uh, a child who has leukemia or uh, whatever, where it just, it makes absolutely no sense for them to sort of risk their personal safety by having people in and out. And 
and then for them to go into other people's houses if they're upsizing or downsizing. So I think that as we uh, sort of come out of the pandemic and if we get that return to normalcy, which hopefully Fauci is talking about, that'll sort of start this fall, should start looking a little more normal, um, that I think that uh, for 2022 that we'll um, that we should see people selling who who had sort of been waiting to sell. And um, uh, the other factor uh, that will make um, that I think has people anxious to sell uh, when they're able um, is Americans have never spent more time in their homes than they have over the last year. Yes. So if you have lived in a house that you could stand being in, you know, 12 hours every day, uh, you may have found that 24 hours a day, seven days a week for a year. Uh, is is more than more than you could handle, and you're ready to move up, uh, especially with people, um, businesses shifting. Um, and I think it's going to uh, be a continued trend, uh, but towards telework, where they can save money on the residential, right. or sorry, on the commercial uh, real estate, where they're not having to rent as much office space. Right. Um, I, I think people will continue to work from home and. Uh, that takes extra room. I know that it, it's hard to find two offices uh, in a three-bedroom, two-bath house. Right. Uh, and somebody's got to be in the bedroom, or yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Set up something in the living room, and you right. know, you make do with what you have. But as people become uh, able and feel safe, uh, changing that, um, uh, you know, upgrading to you know a four-bedroom two bath uh, if they were in a three or buying something that has an office, right. Right, which I think, you know, uh, side note, office, uh, homes with offices, I think are going to really start to go for a premium. Oh, absolutely. Uh, more so than ever before. Um, well, and I think um, because the, the the state, I already know, because I have several clients that work for the state, they're going to be permanent teleworkers. Um, and so I know that the state has paid like, yeah, this is working pretty well. Um, and so the state, again, if they can shift get rid of some buildings, get rid of some leases, you know, that could be a lot of uh, savings for the state in terms of the real estate that they hold or lease. Uh, and so I, I know they're really sort of looking at that and thinking, wow, can we downsize our footprint, our commercial footprint um, and save taxpayer money? So unlike uh, 2008, people have a lot of equity in their home in, on, on average. Um, so a way more people can afford to sell their house and, and get another another bedroom or get a house that has a dedicated office in it. Right. Absolutely. So I, I, I would really expect to see a even stronger market going forward with more homes being sold than, than last year, uh, without a doubt. Oh, yeah. No, it, it's going to be another crazy year, right? I really do feel bad for buyers. Um, so I just, it's so hard. I try to do my best to prep them. I know you do too, that it's just, it, it's going to be tough and, um, and there's going to be a lot of offers. So, and it, it's, it takes patience as well because it's going to take longer. There's not as much on the market. Right. You know, whereas before there might have been 20 homes on the market that meet your criteria. Right. There could be none right now. And you could be sitting there waiting for something to pop up on the market to go look at. Right. So it takes, uh, it definitely takes some perseverance to, to get through. Um, and eventually, um, I haven't found that anybody has been unable to if they stick it out long enough. Um, well, but, yeah, we can get them under contract, but yeah, there's going to be a few that they're going to lose. And 
Um, and so I, the, I'm always a little concerned when someone calls and says, yeah, my lease runs out in 60 days. And I'm like, ooh, <laughs> can, can you have another place to stay? Or will your landlord go month to month and, and sort of talking about the realities of the market and how difficult sometimes it is to get under contract, especially if you're in that under 350 where so many people are. Uh, that's, uh, um, yeah, it's crazy. Uh, and then the other thing that I found people are really struggling with in this market is getting over that the fact that you have to go in competing situations. Right. You can't say, all right, I will give you what you are asking. Yeah, no. You're not going to get it. Um, yeah. And it's really hard to, uh, to convey uh, to, to somebody uh, who is looking to purchase a home until they have just been through it themselves and they've seen that. Right. So invariably, you know, uh, our, the average client is going to, um, the average person is going to uh, lose out on uh, houses that they wish they could have got, but they just get beat out too. Right. And, and then I think sometimes it's a real shocker when they see what it finally sold for. They're like, what? Uh, like, yeah. So it, it's sort of, uh, it, you know, we do as we best we can to sort of educate them about where we think it will land at the end of the day. Like, okay, they're listed here. And sometimes we do have some agents that are underpricing homes by a lot. Um, I actually just saw one and I was like, this is underpriced by like $30,000, $40,000. And so I was like, so here's the real starting point. And then from there, I think it will probably end up here. Um, So, And, you know, uh, that is um, part of the importance too of of being ready to go and quick and having an agent that's watching for those things. Well, thank you again for joining me. Uh, it's been a pleasure as always. Yeah, always happy to talk data. I'm always a data geek. So there we go. Sounds good. Well, have a good one. Again, this is Daniel Gonzalez and Melina Thompson with Thompson Burnham. Uh, you can find us at thompsonburnham.com. Uh, call or email us. Uh, my email address is daniel at thompsonburnham.com. And Melina's is melina at thompsonburnham.com. Uh, and we will catch you guys next time. All right. Bye, everybody.